Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 131 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Sam Valen from Caligula's Horse is on the show. He and I are discussing the band's new album, Charcoal Grace, as well as the last record coming out in the cursed year of 2020, writing long, long songs, vision boarding records, opening for this podcast's hero, Devin Townsend, and a lot more. Now, before we dive into my chat with Sam, here's a bit of Gollum from Charcoal Grace by Caligula's Horse. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well as well. <laughs> good to good to start my day early. I sort of realized doing all of these like U- US interviews and stuff. It's late for you guys, right? Uh, we're coming at a cool 3 p.m. here in uh, California. Oh, that's actually not too bad. Actually, sounds quite pleasant. <laughs> I've done a lot of these at like five in the morning, and those yeah. are rough. Um, but I imagine the inverse is probably not great for you either. No, well, I only learned doing the tour like earlier this year through like Latin America and then Atlanta. Just like it's hard enough to call home, let alone organize, you know, like Mm -hmm. blocks of interviews and stuff. But no, I hear you, man. I've had, I think, two people who have interviewed that live in Australia. And I think everyone Mm -hmm. else, it's just been scheduling nightmares. So. Uh, you're number three. Welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm the only one in the band who can do nine o'clock at this particular time, nine a.m. at this particular time. So it's good. It works out. Are you generally a morning person? Not at all. You can probably see it in my eyes, but <laughs> but um, it's just because holidays sort of start for me oh, a little sure. bit earlier than the other guys. So it's 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 all good. <laughs> that actually kind of leads me to my first question. Uh, if I can timestamp this a little bit, um, of course. <laughs> so to timestamp this a little bit, uh, we're recording this a few days out from Christmas. Um, what sort of December traditions do you get up to uh, when you are able to be home? Like, honestly, it, it sounds really, really lame, and I'm sorry for such a lame answer, but it really is just like catch-up time. Um, you know, like, I don't think Australians take Christmas, that kind of period, as, as seriously as Americans. I'm going to say that's a generalization. Maybe I'm totally talking nonsense here. <laughs> but um, it tends to be, you know, kind of like one day where we exchange presents and then move on. Very secular Christmas on purpose, you know? <laughs> um, but, um, but no, just catching up, recharging the batteries, really. I, I, that's kind of the way I view it myself. My, my wife is a big Christmas person. So we've got, mm. we've got a tree up. We've had a tree up for about a month. Uh, we also have two cats that want to bring it down. So it's been a constant <laughs> battle. With those the constant two. fight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a very stupid question. 
in Australia, are there Christmas songs and are they about how hot it is? Because the way that all our songs are about how it's snowy, even though it doesn't snow everywhere. I, I love that you were, like you were hinting at the strange struggle that like our children and stuff face, which is like all of their Christmas media being winter and then it just being the hottest yeah. that it gets, especially where we live in Australia, like kind of the, you know, the, the more northern side of it. Um, yeah, no, the, we sing the same songs. They're about reindeer. They're about snow. And it's it doesn't make any sense okay. at all, but that's, you know, that's the way it is. Look, there's a lot of stuff about Christmas. If you don't question it, it's probably for the best. And I guess for, yes. for y'all, that can yes, be one please. of those. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to, of course, transition to the, I could weirdly talk about Christmas stuff uh, mm. a lot because it's a fascinating time. But um, the new record uh, uh, that is coming out here, Charcoal, Grace, um, uh, I think it's interesting for people who interact with bands doing press cycles, especially the last few years, that I'm still finding artists dealing with the the downtime from the pandemic and learning to live in just like a whole new world in that mm. time. And I, I've read the new record kind of touches on that time a lot. But you guys put out Rise Radiant in 2020. Do you mm. sort of feel like it didn't get what it deserved either from press or from you guys being able to tour it or just in a time that feels like a blur. Mm, I mean, honestly, that's, it's, it's actually one of the biggest motivations behind the themes of Charcoal Grace. I mean, it's, you know, it's worth saying, like we obviously didn't plan to release the record smack bang into the beginning of kind of all of the, all of the um, practical manifestations of the pandemic, like everything closing down and all of that kind of stuff. We heard murmurings about the beginning of the pandemic at the very end of production, like late 20, what would that be? Late 2019. And at that point, it was far too late to sort of put the brakes on. But to be honest, I, I'm not sure that we would have anyway. Like, I, I think there was kind of something important about putting out this, you know, quite hopeful, quite um, positive record in that period, even if it did mean that we didn't get to do a lot of the things we normally do on the back of that. Um, the critical reception was great, but obviously we didn't get to do the touring and stuff on the back of the record. And like I've said this to a couple of people, it's kind of a weird one to explain, but there's the sense as a like as a songwriter and as an artist that although you go through all of these hours creating a record, you really don't get to know the music until you play it on the road and you actually sort of see how it interfaces with the, the audience and, you know, what, what parts mean certain things or make you feel certain things or, you know, kind of bring the room to a certain emotion or a certain feeling. So we had this lingering, um, I guess, lingering hang up after the, the, the pandemic hit and rise rating kind of went into stasis that we didn't really want to move on from it. But at the same time, we knew that we were not going to do everything on the back of it. It was simply not going to happen in the time that we had, like leading up to the next album cycle. And to be honest, we kind of fought against that internally, like explicitly and implicitly. Like we we didn't want to jump into writing the next record, but eventually we had to. And that struggle that like, I guess, you know, resulted in the process of writing the next album also became the foundation for a lot of its themes. So, you know, like us trying to sort of come to grips with what the hell being in a band or being a musical artist is when everything that we do is just gone and we're just trying to, you know, white knuckle grip our way uh, into keeping employment and stuff through the pandemic. Like it really just was a, it's not a great time to be in a band. But then on the other hand, we also saw everything in the world around us kind of go to shit, you know, like as you sort of realize that your community, uh, as you might think about them, they're all too busy hoarding toilet paper to care about each other, you know? So it was one of those weird situations where from all sides as artists, it felt like we were kind of fighting against something. And the result is this album that is quite dark and quite introspective and quite thoughtful. 
Um, but the album is intended ultimately as a kind of catharsis of all of that. Like, let's sum it all up. Let's put it all out, you know? Uh, the press release about the song has a line about the song Gollum that says it's examining struggles, str- struggling with the weight of expectations through the pandemic. Mm. What sort of expectations did you have either on yourself or about others that either turned out to be what you expected or surprised you? So it's a great question. Actually, kind of, I, I wish more artists would talk about this because there was a sense throughout the pandemic that um, this is a perfect time to just stop doing everything and just be creative, just create stuff. And I probably have never in my life felt less creative in that time. Like, you know, again, like I'm not, I'm not kidding. It really felt like just keeping a day job and keeping things together was so hard in that time that the idea of just devoting, you know, myself or ourself in the case of the band to writing another album just felt, it wasn't even impossible. It just wasn't on my radar. You know what I mean? Like it felt quite distant compared mm-hmm. to a lot of, a lot of other immediate kind of concerns that um, that I and we had. So, you know, I, I, I think about the weight of expectation in a couple of different ways. Obviously there's a practical weight of expectation. You know, we're a active band. We've got to constantly have albums on the go. If we're not having an album, it's, you know, cause we're mid tour cycle, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the, the, the other side of it is as kind of the, I guess the main songwriter in the band, or at least the guy who generally, let's say, generates the ideas, um, there's also this expectation that I'm going to just create. <laughs> and you know, in, in that kind of context where it feels like um, there's really no inspiration or no, uh, th- th- no sort of reason to, to, to push into that world, the weight of expectation became much more of a, I, I guess, like a, I guess you could say writer's block kind of situation. When I think writer's block, I tend to think a little bit more kind of internal or I just felt like there was a lot more external stuff that kind of made it hard. But um, I I definitely struggled with the weight of expectation in that regard through the pandemic. And it must be said, um, once we actually began writing, like once we sort of just said, look, Rise Radiant, unfortunately, will probably never have its day. That's okay. We've just got to start doing the next thing. And once we started putting ideas together that felt meaningful and felt interesting and felt reflective of the time, Writing was actually not too bad. It just took quite a lot to get into. Um, and at that point, the weight of expectation kind of drops away and, you know, things start to get fun again. But there was a long period there where it really was an uphill battle. Yeah, I felt like I sat down with a guitar every other day or so and just sort of held it for a while yeah. and, and then put it down. <laughs> no, honestly, man, me too. Like, And it's crazy because... That 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 seems like from from a fan's perspective or like an external person's perspective, that seems insane to 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 hear. Like you know, we went from being quite prolific to kind of just being unable to really do anything. But it's it's really hard to sum up just how I guess how hard it was as an artist, but also how bad how badly we as a band responded to that. There were certain bands who you know, especially ones who live in say countries with a lot more governmental funding for artists and stuff, where they could just write music but it really wasn't the case for us you know uh to kind of talk about the writing of this album there of Mm. course is the four-piece epic that takes up an entire side of an lp that is the title track um Mm. i have personally set out to write very long songs inspired by pink floyd inspired by opath inspired by you know all those bands that write massive things did you guys Mm -hmm. set out to write a huge thing or did it just sort of these four tracks become this one piece. <laughs> a, a bit of both, I suppose. Um, you know, on the on the one hand, I'm a, a very long 
time prog nerd. You know, I, I love everything from the late 60s through to, you know, the kind of incarnations of that stuff today. And I, I, I've always loved the concept of the side length song. Um, as a slight piece of trivia, we realized as we were getting to the end of writing this that I, I remember hitting a point where I realized I had to work out a way to conclude the suite because it would not be a side length song. It would be too long for an mm-hmm. LP side. And we got dangerously close to that point. But anyway, that's a, that's a slight digression. Um, so, we, you know, we, we definitely set out to write a side length piece. That wasn't obvious from the very beginning. I think we'd written probably. 30, 40% of what would become Prey, like part one of the suite, um, before it became obvious that the themes that we were digging into and the kind of like the narrative that underpins the song was really a little bit too big to to, to get through in that amount of time. So, uh, you know, th- there was a point where we said, okay, we're going to write another side length song. How are we going to make it different than our previous one, which was Graves um, from In Contact in uh, 2017. Um and the main thing was I wanted, I, I distinctly wanted the challenge of creating a four-part suite where each part works as an individual song, like it has a start and a finish and a kind of running structure that feels logical and fulfilling and kind of meaningful. But I also wanted them to work seamlessly and feel like one song. So it was a really interesting challenge as an artist. Um I guess it's a slight other aside, but I kind of love doing that. Like I love setting, you know, very difficult to achieve goals that force me to really, you know, address the approaches that I take to this kind of stuff. So that was where the idea of the four-part suite came in. And that was kind of the the the, the underpinning concept. But for what it's worth, we started writing Prey at the very beginning of the album's conception. And Give Me Hell may have been the last song we wrote, or at least it was amongst the end of it. So, you know, it, t- it took a, an obscenely long time. <laughs> I'm very curious about these goals. Are there any that are on this vision board of yours that you would be willing to share that you haven't done yet? Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is, whenever we start a new record, and and this this particular record, Charcoal Grace, had a little more of this than in the past because it took so much for us to actually begin writing, like I, like I said before. Um, but, but whenever we begin writing a record, we always start with um, kind of a brainstorm about like what, what we're trying to do bigger picture-wise and how it will contrast the previous album because, you, you know, like there's nothing worse than feeling like you're kind of emulating yourself. Um, you know, in 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 the in the past or whatever. Um, in this case, we well, in this case, we we knew that first of all, there were certain rules that we've had in the past that we we kind of have to suspend just because of the themes of the record. So one example of that is throughout our whole career, we've always tried to have this kind of balance between dark and light thematics. Like if there is a really dark concept in a song, it's important to have some degree of kind of like positivity or hope as part of that message. And we do that just because I'm a big believer that drama, like, you know, really expressive kind of emotional drama tends to come somewhere between the balance of those two things. Like, you know, you know the old cliche that you you can't sort of see, you, you can't experience light without dark as sure. its reference point. Um, but in this particular album, we threw that aside a little bit for the simple fact that adding too much hope in such a dark time actually just feels disingenuous. Like it feels like a parody of the experience that a lot of people lived in this time. And of course, a lot of people had a way harder time in the pandemic than Australia, like, you know, where we basically shut our borders and sort of were were immune to it for a fairly long time. Um, Anyway, I digress. So with that foundation, we kind of, we, we, we kind of set ourselves up so that we, we had this bigger canvas, but to actually dig into it and to make it work, 
we needed to, in this case, have much more shared motivic material. And one thing that I really like, and this kind of ties into like one of the main, like, you know, uh, let's say like challenge, <laughs> like check boxes, um, was that I wanted to weave a couple of themes throughout the whole record. And I wanted some of them to be really obvious and some of them to be really subtle. So you could take something like the way Sales goes into the Storm Chaser. Those two songs both share the same uh, melodic motif. Uh, but in a different key, in a sort of different meter, similar, similar. It's a kind of compound meter, but it's slightly different, and um, uh, very different representation in terms of the arrangement. So that's like a that, that's one challenge that I really like is taking like a piece of motivic information and kind of hiding it all throughout the album. So sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of the time it isn't. And the hope is that the listener is experiencing it and maybe just absorbing some of that material such that when it appears again, even if it's very subtle, it might feel just a little bit familiar. It might elicit like a, you know, a, a kind of unique feeling as a result. Um, so that's, that's another goal that I, I've sort of set throughout this, but for what it's worth, the goals don't tend to be, it's pretty rare that they are kind of like big top-down goals. Charcoal Grace, the suite is maybe a little more top-down than most. It's usually more a particular challenge that a song would suggest. So I'll give you the probably the best example in Charcoal Grace is the songs The World Breathes With Me and Mute, the album's opener and closer, which are actually both built on the same conceptual material. And it came from a failed challenge in a way. Um, Mute was originally going to be the album intro. It was going to be like two minutes long and precede The World Breathes With Me kind of just as like a, uh, a soft hint at some of its themes just to allow that big 10-minute song to have space. And of course, as I say this, the irony I'm sure is not lost on the fact that the two-minute intro became the 12-minute album closer. I didn't have to say um, it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> but see, the, the thing is, like when I say when I say rules, it's not that the rules are kind of immutable. It's more that they, they're just really interesting creative guidelines that push back against my instincts. And you know, as, as an artist, like we can be very... Um, myopic, you know, we can, we can be very focused on the things that we're, we're good at and comfortable with. So doing things like that, throwing a challenge, even if sometimes it fails, as in the case of Mute and Breathe, um, it's still just really interesting as a way of kind of getting more out of, you know, your, your inclinations and your intuitions and so forth. I, I feel like personally, like I will bring my band a riff and I have like this whole idea in mind and one guy will take it, turn it inside out and just it's a whole other thing and i'm like mm. i mean we could go with the original one and call it a new song but that's cool too um <laughs> so i i am fascinated by changes and failure in the creative process um mm. uh something that i guess could sort of let's fuck it uh segue uh so you guys <laughs> are it. yeah outside of prog power you haven't played the u.s much um so you've mm. got a, a run coming up next year that i'm very excited for with earthside but mm. outside of you know, coming to play Atlanta, have you visited the States much? Not at all. And it's funny because, you know, I would consider myself a, a fairly well-traveled person, like mostly in the context of the band, but I, I'm also someone who's got wanderlust. I'm a tourist. You know, I love doing that stuff. Um, the States we've been to exactly twice and exactly both times we're in Atlanta. I like Atlanta. The prog power, the fantastic <laughs> Prog Power Festival. Um, but the thing is, it's not for lack of trying, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like 2020, we had a massive um, US headline tour playing on the back of Rise Radiant, which, you know, we, we, we kind of tried to keep an honor until it was just impossible, you know, until it became clear that it was just a fool's errand to even think that this was hopeful. I don't think we even canceled it until a couple of months out. I mean, you know, it was just, 
it was so heartbreaking and such a huge financial hit for us canceling that whole tour. Like, it cost us tens of thousands of dollars in, in visas and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it, the thing is, we, we've wanted to get to the States for the longest time. And for what it's worth, I mean, you know, you, your your country does not make it easy. It's quite hard. I, being, I hear it uh, keeps getting harder, band. too. And I wish I had, I could say <laughs> I'm sorry and flip a switch, but uh, I work no, at a college. The thing, yeah. is, <laughs> the thing is, like, for, for a band like us, like, it's 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 not too bad because, you know, we, we know that we can headline. And, like, even on this tour, you know, we know ticket sales are going awesome. We know it'll work out financially. But, you know, you, you are right. Like, you know, our visas cost double what they cost last time this time and it's the kind of thing where you could imagine being in a band um not that we're a particularly big band or anything but you can imagine being in a band in a you know maybe like a a few steps below where we're at and it would just be absolutely unheard of which is probably why you don't actually see that many smaller bands kind of you know do big tours of the states i guess it is just hard but um you know all of that aside I'm so excited to actually just come and be a tourist in the US, you know, can't wait to see lots of the famous big cities and just do those kind of like the, you know, the, the famous road trip. I just cannot wait to to see it in saying that's going to be quite white by my understanding for a lot of the, a lot of the time. Right. But um, still, uh, you should probably, quite snowy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, certain areas are probably gonna be a little rough. As far as snow, I don't know how you are on the snow. Uh, I'm terrible. I drive a mini Cooper and I don't own chains. So, um, <laughs> You should probably check. Well, you're a touring band, so you of course will fall in love with Bucky's, mm. which is the South's like big truck stop thing that has like mm. everything you can imagine with this cute little beaver man on it. So uh, <laughs> swing into a Bucky's and join the cult. Um, love it, love it. Uh, I want to. I want to ask him some kind of like nerdy stuff. Uh, I mentioned sure. to a friend of mine that I was chatting with you, and I was like, "Is there anything you want to ask him?" And he said, uh, "Just simply, what inspired the song Salt." Uh, that was his entire yeah. question. So ha- take that as however you want to. Could be, you know. No, I love it. It's a very unusual song. Like, yeah, it, it's um, it's yeah. Actually, can I, can I let me before I answer this properly? Let me just preface this by saying we actually toured with Salt for the first time on that on the European and Latin American run this year, the one where we culminated with Pro Power, and it's a really interesting song because. It, I would have said it was like probably my favorite song off of Rise Radiant. I think it still probably is. Um, but it was really strange to play live because, you know, it's so dynamic. It does rely a lot more on kind of like the orchestrations and things like that, which a lot of our songs really don't. So it was one of those songs where like it was amazing to play it, but we kind of realized that it really isn't as good live as it is on the record. And that's very rare to come across that, I think. Is that hard anyway, for you to admit? that's just my opinion. <laughs> but, you know. Um, but it's 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 a song that um, has, has a couple of different, I guess, like, you know, where it comes from um, discussion points. So one of them is musically um, the kind of quintuplet shuffle that a lot of it follows. I call it a quintuplet shuffle, like just a very, very five sixteen. One of your two to three, five, you know, that kind of that kind of vibe. Um, that was actually something that I remember Adrian, our, our former second guitarist, was kind of playing with. He had this kind of like dum 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 dum, and I remember hearing it and being like, "Hey, that's really interesting. We could probably like stretch that out." And you know, talking about motivic stuff and one of those one of the previous questions, it actually became something that was interesting enough to build a whole bunch of different riffs out of. But what became obvious very quickly was that it's particular kind of delicate dynamic hinted at a kind of emotion that really isn't as common on Rise Radiant, which is much more solemn and introspective qualities, interestingly enough, that are a little more typical of the Charcoal Grace record, I would argue. Um, And as we started workshopping, like the way the lyrics and the way the vocal melodies and stuff would work, 
I actually took on the, it sounds like a really weird one, but I started thinking like um, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, mid 1800s kind of classical era opera. And you hear that a lot, especially towards the end of the piece where you've got the kind of interplay of like strings and vocals and all of those kind of things over some very dramatic, very dark chords. Um, so, that, I mean, look, that's a couple of scattered like snippets of, you know, where did it come sure. from? Uh, the, <laughs> hopefully it gives you a couple of ideas. But no, it, it probably is still my favorite song of Rose Radio. It means a lot to me, that song. I think it's a really cool song. I listened to it a little bit ago and you saying you played it live is interesting because all the orchestrations mm. behind it. Um, yeah. Could you foresee a uh, Caligula's Horse SNM, your your thing with a symphony <laughs> or an orchestra or something? Well, Charcoal Grace is the first record we've ever done that actually has like a live orchestra. You know, like it's a lot more featured on that album. So I guess the pragmatic answer is I hope so. That'd be cool because <laughs> it's hard, but it would be absolutely incredible. What a what a cool thing to do. Uh, so my show is called Farvia Metal, a strap young lad song. So I have to ask, yep. how was it like opening for Devin Townsend a month or so ago? Oh man, that that was absolute magic. I so so you know, being in a band as long as I have, there's this kind of experience you have, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well. Like you you know, you'll go on tour with a with a really good band, especially early on in your career, and you'll kind of have these little realization moments of like aspects to your live performance or your performance individually, or even your music that could be improved. Right. And what I find over the years is that that kind of thing happens less and less, you know, we, we get better as a band, we get more seasoned, we get more used to the thing we're doing. And I haven't felt that personally for probably six or seven years at this point, but touring with Devin Townsend blew my head off. Like I realized that we, are, you know, way we got, with the threshold for how good we can be is way higher than we thought it was. And I'll tell you, I had this amazing experience. Um, their wonderful techs cloned me in in-ear pack. So I was able to watch Devin Townsend side stage with like his mix in my oh, ears, that's, that's which was awesome. like, you got to understand, like, it was like goosebumps for like two straight hours for me because he's one of my biggest heroes. Um, but sort of having this realization as to how his show runs, I was hearing all of his cues in my ear and, you know, hearing their clicks and all that kind of stuff. And just realizing the the amount of things that went wrong in his show, like the one that I'm watching, like, you know, like click tracks going down, instruments not working, stuff like that, you would never even notice from the front. But I got this amazing bird's eye view of how they manage that and how they deal with that stuff in real time, which was just such a treat. It was so, so cool. But um, look, the short version is uh, emotionally heartrending and utterly inspiring is how it was touring with Devin Townsend. Sounds right. It happens to help that he's just a wonderful guy as well. I've had him on the show a few times. Always super sweet to me. Uh, I could just like ask him a question and he just goes off in his own world. I'm like, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, the new record's fantastic. Like I already thank mentioned, you, uh, the Earthside tour. It's coming to Berkeley. I'm going to Berkeley for it because... Awesome. Well, come say hi, man. It'll be, it'll be cool to meet you in person. Yeah, dude. Uh, so, you know, enjoy the rest of your morning. And uh, I don't know if you're a tea or coffee guy, but hopefully get you through the rest of this. <laughs> I'm going to have to go get one quickly. All right. Thank you, Mac. Right, Lovely later. talking to you. Later.
Charcoal Grace by Caligula's Horse will be out Friday, January 26th via Inside Out Music. You can head to Caligula'sHorse.com or the link in this episode's description to get your copy. Then, of course, I would like to invite you to head over to FarBeyondMetalPodcast.com. There, if you're in your band you want to chat with me, you can hit up the Talk To Me page. If you want to hear old episodes, it's where to go. There's a little merch store for shirts and stuff. So many fun things to look at. FarBeyondMetalPodcast.com. And, of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Central Media Records, and Davin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.